You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and the creator of the website, MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. On today's program, we're going to be talking about a famous devotion, the devotion of the Holy Face of Jesus, or Volto Santo as it's known in Italy. Now, what's interesting about this devotion is it does not refer to just a singular image. There are several legendary, maybe miraculous images that some classify as a chiropoita. That is a Greek word meaning not made from human hands. And one such image has its origins in apparitions from the 1800s. There's also a holy face medal, uh, and that devotion has been formally approved by several popes. And this approval does not include Pope Benedict XVI, who visited uh, church housing one of these famous images in 2006, and he raised it to the level of a basilica, or John Paul II, who specifically mentions this holy face devotion in his writing. So these images, there's many of them. There's the Veronica Vale, the image of Edessa, the Mandilian, the Sudarium of Oviedo, the Manepolo image. And today we're going to be interviewing an expert on the holy face devotion, author Patricia Enk, who will shed some light on this very important devotion and see if she can clarify what all these different images are. Of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Today's question is going to be a fun one. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world today on May 6th in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. For more information on this project, you can go to 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Now, this week in Miracle News, uh, we had a report that just came out today that the Vatican will beatify Pope Paul VI in October of this year. Pope Paul VI, who was Pope between 1963 and 1978, he provi- presided over several key reforms from the Second Vatican Council, and he will be beatified later this year. Now, we mentioned on an earlier program that there was a miracle attributed to Paul VI, and that was officially verified by the Vatican. Um, so that would just leave him one step away from sainthood. Um, the Italian news agency ANSA reported that the apparent miracle identified the by the Vatican's Congregation for the Causes of Saints, was the healing of an unborn baby from an otherwise incurable illness. ANSA also said that the beatification could occur on October 19th. And this would follow just on the footsteps of two of our popes, uh, John Paul II and John XXIII, who were given uh, the recognition of sainthood in a Vatican ceremony just last month. And this, this whole process of beatification for Paul VI, it started in the year 1993. 
Also in Miracle News this week, on May 2nd, was a celebration of the 20th anniversary of an ap- of the apparitions in Itapiranga, Brazil. That's deep in the Amazon of Brazil. Now, m- most people have not heard of this apparition, but what's truly interesting is that these apparitions to a young man named Edson Glauber, they continue today, and the early apparitions are actually approved by the local bishop. This is very rare when an apparition is still going on, and the, the bishop believes it so surely that he approves it. Now, pilgrims from different parts of Brazil visited on Saturday this shrine of Our Lady of the Rosary, Queen of Peace, in the municipality of Itaparanga, within the Amazon. They came for a special celebration that recalled the 20th anniversary of this apparition. Now, this procession has been taking place annually with the uh, participation of the local bishop, and uh, the devotees who come, they take the opportunity to thank Our Lady and ask for blessings. The bishop who is, the, who is there, uh, his name is Kariel Griti. In a sermon, he spoke to the faithful about the importance of faith today. We have a quote. The demonstration that was 20 years ago spawned faith. What counts is the people's faith, the bishop said. The pilgrims carried the image of Santa Maria Itavaranga, in procession on the streets, singing and praying on their way up to the sanctuary. And that's today's news story about uh, these apparitions at Itaparanga. For more information on these apparitions, please visit MiracleHunter.com and click the link for Bishop-Approved Apparitions. To keep up to date with the latest miracle news, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. It's the same image we've given away in past weeks, and it's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. If you visit the homepage MiracleHunter.com, you can see the image there. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia. That's an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. Now, we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program, and today we're going to be talking about the Veronica Veil and other images bearing the face of Christ. So here's the question. In what Spanish sporting spectacle do the performers use maneuvers called Veronicas? That question again. In what Spanish sporting spectacle do the performers use maneuvers called Veronicas? For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now we'll turn to the mailbag, or email inbox, as it were, for today's question of the day. Today's question is, 
from Marianne. The question says, Dear Miracle Hunter, I tend to approach Marian apparitions with a wait-and-see, somewhat skeptical stance. As the situation has begun to unfold in the Ukraine, I remember that there were reports of Marian apparitions that drew large numbers of faithful in the mid-1980s. What do you know of these claims, and are they true? In Christ, Marianne. Well, thank you for your great question, Marianne. Um, one of the interesting things uh, about the Ukraine is it has been a place of apparitions, or at least alleged apparitions, throughout history. And I'll just run through a few of the, of the claims that have come from there, and then we'll talk about if any of them uh, are, appear to be true. So according to tradition, about 400 years ago, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared near the town Rushiv, south of Lviv in Ukraine. That was during a time of war, and she's credited with bringing peace at that time, and a willow tree was planted there in her honor. Uh, later, in the 1790s, a fresh spring appeared near that willow, and healings were associated with the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It became a place of great pilgrimage, who uh, unfortunately became so angry at the rise in the devotion, uh, they poisoned the spring there. In the 1850s, during a cholera epidemic, a woman again had a vision of Our Lady who requested that the Holy Mass be celebrated on the site and the spring be reclaimed. As a result of complying with Our Lady's instruction, the cholera ep- epidemic ended. Three tongues of fire were seen to come down and rest above that spring as a sign. A church dedicated to the Blessed Trinity was erected there and consecrated on that site, and it remains there to this day. It is there that the apparitions of 1987, reportedly later, took place. In 1914, Our Lady reportedly appeared to 20 people at the site of the Holy Trinity Church and asked them for prayer, fasting, and penance. This, of course, is a very typical message that Our Lady brings at apparition sites. She told them of great love, uh, that would, uh, the great love for the, for the Ukrainian people, and that war would break out, three wars in total, and that their shrine would be closed for a period of 80 years. Now, in 1987, Our Lady, Our Lady reportedly re- appeared to a 12-year-old girl, Marina Kizian, and later that day when the child brought her mother to the site, her mother also saw Our Lady. Later, on uh, May 9th, Our Lady appeared to Joseph Terola daily at that Holy Trinity Church. And that continued on. In 1987, Our Lady reportedly continued to appear at that church, where tens of thousands reported not only seeing her, but also hearing her messages. And that was 40,000 to 80,000 individuals who made this claim, according to local reports. Um, On one night, there was over 50,000 people who were present on site for an apparition, and the local officials attempted to disrupt these gatherings. However, even local KGB agents were among those who experienced conversions. And then from 1987 on, we have additional reports of apparitions there, and other Marian shrines across Ukraine have occurred. Um, Joseph Terola later uh, moved to Canada, and he claimed apparitions continuing there. So, as for these two seers, uh, Marina Kizian and Joseph Terla, they have been investigated by church authorities. Now, they have not been approved, but significantly they have not been condemned either. Both are given the judgment of non constate supernaturalitate, not, co- not condemned, and they're most typically left alone in this wait-and-see stance of the church. 
later could be approved. Um, so those are the images coming from Ukraine, or the apparitions coming from Ukraine. Uh, it has a great history, as, as you can see, of, of apparitions um, happening throughout its history. Now, if you have questions for the Miracle Hunter, please email questions at miraclehunter.com, and we will answer one question per week. Each week we'll be doing a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. For each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there's a Marian title, a feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event being celebrated. It's always amazing to me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. Now, I've collected all the dates with their feasts into one resource. I call that 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, a history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated there for anybody who would like to visit those places. The project's available in print in the form of a daily planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook. Visit the website, 365dayswithmary.com, to see the project. And the print version, in the form of a daily organizer, makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, today's feast for May 6th is the Samara Icon of the Mother of God from Ukraine in the year 1736. And it's celebrated on the third Tuesday after Easter. But... What I'd like to talk about today is one of my favorite devotions of Our Lady, celebrated on May 8th, coming up. That is Our Lady of the Rosary. A blessed Bartolo Longo, he founded the shrine of Our Lady of the Rosary and enshrined a miraculous image there. Many healings have ensued, including one involving Fortuna Agrelli. Now, the Virgin appeared as the Queen of the Rosary on March 3rd, 1884, to Fortuna Agrelli. She held a rosary in her hand and was accompanied by St. Dominic and St. Catherine of Siena. Our Lady and the child were clad in gold-embroidered garments. The girl was healed on May 8th of that year. Now, John Paul II beatified the founder of that shrine, Bartolo Longo, and his feast day is October 6th. Blessed Bartolo, he's a third-order Dominican, founded the Sisters of the Holy Rosary of Pompeii, and he also established homes for the poor for orphans, and for children of people in prison. The Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary is May 8th, and that is a great one for our Church. That was today's feast, so be sure to visit the project, 365 Days with Mary, on Facebook and online, 365dayswithmary.com, to find out more about this devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on this program, or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. As I mentioned earlier in the show, today we are going to be talking about the Holy Face devotion, uh, which is related to several images of our Lord that have miraculous origins or are said to not have been made from human hands. Today we are going to be talking with an expert on the Holy Face devotion, Patricia Enk. She is the author of The Devotion to the Holy Face, and she has been a part of a DVD that's entitled The Holy Face of Jesus, and that DVD can be ordered from FocusTVOnline.com. 
We welcome to the show today, Patricia Enk. Hi, Michael. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. So this uh, Holy Face devotion is a great one in our Church, and as I mentioned earlier, it has the approval of several popes, and we had Pope Benedict uh, visiting the Manepolo image in 2006, and John Paul II uh, mentioning uh, the Holy Face devotion in his writings, so it's a, a an approved and important uh, devotion, but it's one that not many people are familiar with. And there are so many different, uh, there are so many different images uh, associated here. Um, what can you tell us about this devotion? What's the what's the basic background behind it? And maybe then we can get into some of the the various images that are associated. Well, the basic background goes back to the time of Jesus, uh, when images first, uh, an image began to appear, which uh, seems to be a proto-image or uh, an image that is used to portray other images, an iconography, and that has been traced throughout history and uh, throughout from Jerusalem to Edessa to Constantinople to Rome and in Italy, where uh, Il Volto Santo Manapello and the Shroud of Turin and Turin, and those are the two miraculous images, but not made by human hands. So um, some people believe that the you know the Shroud of Turin, uh, many of us. <laughs> Uh, is the burial cloth of Jesus. These are called right. Sudarium. There were um, probably four to five burial cloths uh, with Jesus because that was part of the Jewish uh, custom that a body uh, would be buried with several different cloths. Uh, one, because touching a dead body was considered unclean, Mm-hmm. And two, because um, blood was sacred, so there had to be cloths to be wrapped around the head, um, the face, you know, to soak up blood. And uh, some of, one of those is the Shroud of Oviedo, which is one of these cloths that soaked up the blood, but it does not have an image. It has blood on it. And can you tell us a little bit more about that uh, image? I know uh, it's in Oviedo, and it's it's kept on display or in a chest somehow, and it's described yeah. as sort of a very crumpled piece of cloth. What right. what do we know about about that, and how does that compare to the Shroud of Turin, for example? Is there any similarity between those two images? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, <laughs> there's there's so much that they can do with science now that. Uh, they they couldn't do in the past. They there was a tradition of people saying this is a holy relic, but they had nothing to prove it. Uh, the blood type on the shroud of Oviedo and the shroud of Turin is the same blood type. Mm-hmm. If you place the shroud of Oviedo over the shroud of Turin and over the face of Montepello, it's like pieces of a puzzle. In mm. fact, it blew me away when I saw a. Um, a representation of this, uh, placing so, the so Oviedo, science, so the so Oviedo have done, soaked up the blood on the face. So scientists have done this. They've taken the blood samples, and the, the type is AB, is that correct? The type is AB, and there are pollen uh, samples 
that are on both the shroud and on the um, oviedo sudarium uh, that correspond to that period of time in Jerusalem. Wow. Eve on the cloth corresponds to the same time. Uh, there's, uh, oh my goodness, there, there's so many different things. It, it, they, uh, the geometric uh, analogy between the eyes, the nose, the mouth, uh, different wounds, all fit between these three images. It's astounding. Amazing, and um, what do we? You, you mentioned that the clot, that the the pollen or, or the plant, the residue of plants is found in the similar same re, from the same region. Right. What do we know about the actual fabric of the shroud of Turin cloth and the fabric of the sudarium of Oviedo? Is it the same no. fabric, or is it? No, it's a different fabric. Okay. but uh, it it is. They are able to date it to. Uh, the same period of time. Which now, that be... brings up an interesting point, of course, because in the uh, tests, which I think were done in 1988 at the University of Arizona and elsewhere around the world, they had some difficulty dating the Shroud of Turin to mm-hmm. the time that we were all hoping for and, and would expect to be first century. What, it, what has the testing on the Sudarium image uh, showed as far as the dating of that clock? Well, the dating, the, the problem was in carbon dating. Carbon mm-hmm. dating has many uh, problems with it. Uh, one is the environment can affect the cloth so much, and because the shroud was affected, you know, exposed to fire and right, water right. damage and, right. and it had been repaired, you know, who knows right. which part you know, the small sample was taken from. Sure. And then they did it again, and then the carbon dating was different. And so carbon dating is problematical. Sure. Know. So the sudarium, for example, um, as, as far as I'm aware, was not uh, exposed to fire or to the flooding or to the patchwork that the... The Oviedo? Shroud, shroud, uh, you mean the Oviedo or... Yes, the Oviedo okay. uh, sudarium, yes. Um. No, it, it, but there there are other um, factors, so um, uh, they could affect it. You know, over that that period of time, things weren't kept in you know pristine airlocked <laughs> sure, sure. things. So you know, there's but um, they can say that this is the same man. This is from the same man. You know, with forensic studies that they can do today, you know, criminology, and Mm -hmm. there's so much that they can apply to these um, to study it, and they have uh, to whatever extent, you know, they they have been able to do without, you know, damaging the cloth. They can say, this is the same man. Absolutely. And what do we know about uh, the Sudarium of Oviedo? Um, What does history tell us, as far as I know? Uh, there's there's a written history behind the shroud and where it was transferred to and who was in possession of it. Is there a similar written history for the Sudarium of Oviedo as far as can they trace it back some some years of, of what uh, what churches or what families uh, had this uh, precious relic? Well, Oviedo, I don't know as much about uh, that I should. I haven't studied that as much mm-hmm. as I have um, 
Del Volto Santo of Montepello. Yeah. Um, but um, I do know this. They've had um, a team of about 40 scientists study this Oviedo in, who had fields in criminology, hematology, so blood, mm. palynology, math, computer science, polarized imaging. And so they all had a different task when they were looking at the uh, this burial cloth. Sure. Um, and they they also studied the the way, you know, the the traditions of um Jewish burial and how right, the that's cloth important would to be know that. wrapped yeah. around the head to soak up the sacred blood. That was yeah. they had to stop the flow, of, the flow of blood from the nose and the mouth, and it 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 fits. You know, everything fits according you know to uh, what it should if that's what it were used for. Sure, now that that's that's amazing that scientists came to that conclusion, and uh, and now you mentioned the Manepolo image. Uh, that is a term that most people, most Catholics, are not aware of, of that image. Um, and, uh, of course, it is a famous one, but we don't, we don't really hear much about it. Can you, can you give us a little bit of the background on that image and, and tell us, is that truly the Veronica Vale image, or is that what history would say is the would Veronica Vale right. image? I believe it is, and several people believe that that's what, what it is. The history um, would go back to um, a king at the time of Christ, so while Christ was living, and he is venerated as a saint in the Eastern Church. His name is Saint Edgar mm-hmm. of Edessa, and which is now Turkey. And he, the story is, you know, so there's there's legends, you know, but. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, who knows, you know, but the the fact is there is a historical record of the king with this image who said he had asked for this image of Christ. And by the time Christ had died, I, he had had this image, uh, which is shown in a particular way on a veil, uh, eyes open, mouth partially open, locks of hair at the forehead, man with a thin mustache and wispy beard, long mm-hmm. hair. So it is how we come to know uh, what we think of as the image of Jesus Christ. And later this was um, made into the earliest icon there, which is called the Mandilian. Um <laughs> I have to check something real quick that I wanted sure. to to mention about that. Now um, the Mandil, the Man, so there are several terms that um, they're all fuzzy in my head, and maybe the listeners uh, similarly are, are confused between many images. But we have the the term Mandilian, and then we have the image of Edessa and um, right. the, the Manepolo image. Are those all referring to the the same image? They seem to be referring to the same image. Okay. So this image, actually um, known as the Mendelian, or, you know, the, the, this face of Christ, uh, Mm -hmm. was interestingly (laughs) carried into battles. And 
this name, um, Veronica, this the association here, which is so interesting, the name Veronica, which means true icon, mm-hmm. and the name Berenike, which is also known as Bernice, it means carrying victory. Mm. They have the same meaning, and they also have the meaning of the name of the woman who wiped the face of Christ. Sure. So this true icon and carrying victory. So they would carry it into battles. And then the relic left Edessa around um, 574. The emperor Justinian ordered it to be brought to Constantinople at that time. Then the veil was mostly hidden, and Emperor Justinian um, would only be the one to be the only one to set eyes on it, and that would be only once a year, following confession and Holy Communion. So it was that wow. holy. Around the time of Justinian uh, being overthrown, the veil disappeared. Uh, then. Justinian came back into power. The Patriarch of Constantinople was so concerned, that's where Justinian brought it to Constantinople, that he had the veil moved to safety in Rome under the care of a Greek who mm-hmm. became uh, Pope John VII. So now we're to about 705. And it was in the Vatican from about... 705 in a special shrine uh, made for it uh, and not viewed uh, really kind of kind of just in this shrine uh, until about uh, the 1200s and Pope Innocent I think it was Pope Innocent the uh, third was the one who had it exposed so he would take it out in procession mm. um, so the people could venerate it. Sure. And they would take it in procession to the poor. People would um, just throughout the streets of Rome. And uh, people could view it. So people did. People painted images of it. Dante mm-hmm. wrote about the image of the face of Christ in his Divine Comedy. Uh, Saints had written about it, who had seen it, describing it. Uh, Mm. St. Gertrude said it had a warm, golden honey coloring. But everyone Mm. saw it differently, Mm. and it does appear different to different people. And this perfectly describes the image of Montepello, which is, it doesn't appear the same. It's a changing image. They call Mm -hmm. it a living image. Um, When Martin Luther saw the image uh, in the 1500s, uh, a friend brought him to Rome and said to see the relic of Veronica. What mm-hmm. he saw was a transparent veil. He saw nothing. So he said, this is a fraud. You wow. know, they're duping the people. But that was what he saw. And the image does appear transparent at times. It can completely mm-hmm. disappear. And have scientists done any research on the Manipolo image as far as what what it's made of, or, or how the image is, is on the cloth. I know lots of uh, lots of research has been done on the Shroud of Turin, of course, right. and they can't really figure out how the image is there. In the case of the Veronica Vale, have they done similar studies on they've, it? They've done what they've been able to do without 
being uh, taking it out of its reliquary. Mm. So they're mm-hmm. able to study the fabric. Does it have paint on it? Uh, it does not. It is an image that is there. The veil is so thin and sheer. It's more sheer than nylon. Wow. Uh, there's there's no spaces with paint in them. There, the image changes. You can't do that with paint. It, mm-hmm. You can see incredible detail. It's very hard to take a photo of it. Um, I've noticed photos I've seen, some of them look kind of odd or distorted because... Mm-hmm. A camera lens is either, it's so sheer, it's trying to go past it or, you know, stops at one thing, and it's, mm. it changes. So it's very difficult, I think. The veil itself, they've been able to determine, is made of something that's very uh, rare and precious. It's more precious than gold. It's mm. known as uh, sea silk or byssus, which is mentioned in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um and that's interesting, too, because sea silk is um, pretty much one of the most indestructible cloths. It's more, it's, it's more fireproof than asbestos. Oh, wow. It's water-resistant. Huh. It's alcohol-resistant. Huh. <laughs> Amazing. I know. It is. Uh, it can't be dyed. Well, it can be dyed purple. It said you could, you could dip the cloth uh, a veil made of this, if you had one, mm-hmm. um, but it cannot be painted because paint won't stick to it. You can't get anything to stick to it. Wow! Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, that truly uh, many qualities that uh, that you wouldn't expect that image to have. No, um, and it can also last for about five thousand years. Wow. <laughs> That, that's incredible. It's and, and what what do we yeah. what do we know about? Uh, I, I know uh, Pope Benedict uh, has visited uh, this image. What do we know about uh, the church's approval of the devotion? Uh, or what what, is, what does the church have to say about that specific well. relic? <laughs> well, Pope Benedict uh, he visited it in two thousand six. And in 2007, he wrote a prayer commemorating his visit, which is absolutely beautiful. And I could read you a little part of it. Oh, I'd love that. If you don't mind. I love this part because this reminds me of um, what I felt when I saw it. He says, Show us, O Lord, we pray you, your face ever new, that mirror mystery-laden of God's infinite mercy. Grant that we may contemplate it with the eyes of our minds and hearts, the Son's face, radiance of the Father's glory and the imprint of His nature, the human face of God that is burst into history to reveal the horizons of eternity, the silent face of Jesus, suffering and risen when loved and accepted, changes our hearts and lives. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, well, yeah, what a, what a beautiful prayer from, from Pope Benedict. And for those just joining the program, you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We're talking today with author Patricia Enk. Um, so, Patricia, th- this devotion to uh, the Holy Face, um, in Italy it's known as Volto Santo. Um, does that term 
refer to the general devotion to the holy face of Christ, or does that refer specifically to the Manapalo image? Right. It refers specifically to um, the image in Manapalo, Italy, Il Volto Santo. Devotion to the holy face, and and I, I wanted to mention, Pope John Paul II dedicated the millennium to the holy face. He put the millennium under the radiant sign of the face of Christ. And he was the one who asked for greater devotion to the holy face. And he had asked Cardinal Ratzinger um, Uh uh, to be part of a commission to study uh, the words on a holy face medal, which uh, say, show us thy face, O Lord, and stay with us, Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pope Benedict uh, continued to carry this out, uh, this devotion to the Holy Face in, in, his, in his homilies and in his writing. Pope John Paul II said that this devotion to the Holy Face um, was necessary um, to contemplate his face in preparation for the new evangelization, he said, unless we had contemplated the face of Christ, our evangelization, evangelization would be woefully inadequate. He said, devotion to the Holy Face is standing before the endless crosses of the world with Mary. So wow. this is how important it is to him. That's very clear. You're right. That's very clear that it is truly important to to John Paul II and the way he he promoted that devotion. And one one thing that uh, that you mentioned, of course, is the Holy Face Medal. That's an approved medal within the Catholic Church. Right. And now it has its origins in uh, some apparitions in the 1800s. Can you can you talk? Do do you know any of the background on uh, those visions uh, related? There's there's two different ones. There's one in mm-hmm. the 1800s, which is the Carmelite nun, Sister Marie St. Pierre. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Lord appeared to her and asked for a greater devotion to his holy face. Mm-hmm. Sister Marie St. Pierre um, was in a cloistered Carmelite convent. <laughs> she, she couldn't do much, but she tried to, mm-hmm. the best she could, uh, promote this devotion with the help of a layman known as the Holy Man of Tours, Leon DuPont. Mm. This devotion to the Holy Face uh, gradually became known, and St. Therese and her family belonged to the arch-confraternity of the Holy Face. Sure, sure. So this is the Carmelite connection. Jesus told Sister Marie St. Pierre, I seek for Veronica's to wipe and honor my face, for it has few worshipers. And uh, he said, if any do not recognize my work in this, it will be be because they close their eyes to it. And in a lot of iconography of St. Therese, you do see that image of the holy face with her. That's so interesting that you're able to trace that to this. And And then the the holy face medal comes to us from another nun who is uh, an Immaculate Conception nun, Mother Pierina de Michelli, she was an Italian nun who uh, was in a convent in Argentina. And our Lord appeared to her uh, and said, 
and this is in the, uh, this is about right before the Second World War. He said to her, I firmly wish that my face, reflecting the intimate pains of my soul, the suffering and love of my heart be more honored. Whoever gazes on me already consoles me. Mm-hmm. Then he asked that this medal be made um, with these words, and this is what Pope John Paul II asked the commission to study um, his preparation for the millennium. And many, and many times with uh, medals or devotionals that come to us through uh, reported apparitions, it has to go through a very difficult approval process in order for a medal to be struck and yeah. disseminated amongst the faithful. What what can you tell us a little bit about the process from when Sister Maria Perina received that vision and our Lord asked her to make the medal? What happened next? How, how in fact, did she get the medal created and, and sent to the world? Well, she did have a lot of difficulty um, in gaining permission to get the medals cast, uh, but the she did get permission. The money for casting the medal she found miraculously on her desk with the oh. exact amount of the bill. <laughs> when the medals arrived, um, the evil one <laughs> showed his rage by flinging the medals down and burning pictures of the holy face. Mm. And Sister Pierina um, suffered a great deal. Uh, but she said this in the that this metal, uh, the Blessed Mother told her that the metal was a weapon of defense, a shield of courage, a token of love and mercy, uh, for which her divine son wished to give the world in these troubled days of lust and hatred for God and his church. And this is the relationship between the holy face and the holy name. Mm. Um, it, all, it always boils down to... Um, the Incarnation. God has a face and a name, and He showed His face in Jesus Christ, His Son. And what was done, His face is spit upon. You know, it is bruised, it is beaten. Um, The name of God means uh, God's... uh, presence among us. It's the concrete sign of his existence. So when he gives us his name and shows us his face, and we do this, this is uh, done by blasphemy, atheism, profanation of Sunday, the holy name, the holy day. That's the spitting in his face. And that's why reparation needs to be made. Uh, by prayers or gazing on his face, uh, spending time with the scriptures, looking for his face in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime you do that, you are repairing that relationship that uh, has been destroyed by the by the people he created uh, in giving us his face and his name. And I, I imagine uh, now there's a feast day uh, related to the Holy Face, um, and that, that would be a special day uh, for people to bring their devotion in that way. What what can you tell us about the, the feast day? I think it's the, right before Ash Wednesday, is that correct? That's right. It's the, uh, it's, um, 
Shrove Tuesday, uh, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the day, uh, uh-huh. and that's the day when God is also very offended. So this is a good day to um, say these prayers of reparation, spend time before the Blessed Sacrament, uh, to make reparation to His holy face, uh, by which He, you know, is offended so much. Absolutely. And for those just joining the program today, uh, you're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. We're talking today with author Patricia Enk. Now, Patricia, uh, I'd like to know, how, how did you get involved in studying uh, the Holy Face? You're, you're an incredible expert on the subject, and you've really clarified a lot of my questions, and I'm sure listeners out there who wanted to know more about the Holy Face devotion, you've really uh, opened things up for them. How did you personally get uh, interested in this devotion? Well, I had the devotion from a, from being a child. <laughs> this was uh, my confirmation name. Uh, both my mother's grandmother, mother's grandmother's, uh, were both Bernice Veronica. They had ah, a double okay. Veronica name. So I had this devotion from a young age, but uh, it grew when um, I moved to New Orleans and learned that there were holy face devotions. The, mm-hmm. the secular Carmelites were having devotions in reparation of the holy face. And uh, I just had this uh, burning within me to find out more of um, what, what was the relationship between the face and the name of God, and how did this, you know, what did this have to do with uh, blasphemy and and as I was trying to figure this all out, uh, Pope John Paul II began mm-hmm. talking about the Holy Face, and uh, then Pope Benedict more and more, and uh, now now Pope Francis. <laughs> so uh, because uh, the association with the Carmelites, the secular Carmelites, I became a Carmelite myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've continued to study this uh, throughout the years. And I was asked to uh, try to remake the Arch Confraternity uh, prayer booklet, which had gone out of print, and mm-hmm. nobody could get it. People would ask, and they couldn't find it. And I wanted to include, because it was so important, what the popes had to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you would think when popes are talking that people listen, but I don't <laughs> think they listen very well. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily. No, that's wonderful that you're able to remake that. And uh, where where can people, I, I know there's going to be a lot of listeners out there who were intrigued by what you said today. Where can they go to get this booklet? Um, well, focus, uh tvonline.com, they have a store that has the booklet. Um, it also, the, our Carmelites in, in Covington uh, have the booklet. That's, that's where we had it in their little gift shop. Okay. can be gotten from either of those two places. And Focus TV also has created a DVD called The Holy Face of Jesus, in which you are featured uh, in an interview and, and talking about this devotion. What can you tell us about that DVD? Well, they did a good job editing it, so <laughs> I, I didn't stammer. Uh, 
it's it's mostly um, an overview. It, it's very hard to cover two thousand years of history, you know, Absolutely. and and sure. separate, you know, the Shroud of Turin and the Vale right. of Montepello. But it does uh, give a good overview of um, the history, the reason, and the sublime purpose uh, of this devotion. Um, which obviously our popes have felt were so important, you know, that they have spoken about it and placed the millennium under the sign of the face of Christ. Absolutely, um, and and, it, uh, and I know people will want it will want to see that as well, uh, and they can get that at focustvonline dot com. I believe is the, the website address. So that's right, and. So, uh, just wanted to thank you, Patricia, for joining us on the program today. I think uh, you really you really brought the devotion to life for us, and uh, we look forward to to hearing more about it in your book and in your in your video. So, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. God bless you. So that was Patricia Ank, author of the Holy Face Devotion, and uh, featured in the DVD, The Holy Face of Jesus. You can get that DVD online at FocusTVOnline.com, and uh, we didn't have a caller today uh, with the correct answer for the trivia question. The trivia question was, in what Spanish sporting spectacle do the performers use maneuvers called Veronica's? And the answer to that question was bullfighting. Believe it or not, in uh, the Spanish uh, sport or event of bullfighting, when the bullfighters uh, wave the cloth back and forth, that maneuver is called a Veronica. So that's, of course, uh, hearkening back to the veil of Veronica and the cloth that was used there. So a little interesting factoid for you today. Uh, for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today's program. I'd like to thank our guest, author Patricia Ank, for joining us on the show. And be sure to join and visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.